Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast. Tyson Popplestone here on your Friday afternoon. Now, I was, I've I got mixed feelings about coming to you today. Uh, I just recorded an hour and a half conversation with great Australian stand-up comedian Joseph Green. He's also a model and an actor. And we, just, we hit it off like a house on fire. He's a great guy. The platform I was using, Riverside FM, a new platform. I thought I'll just give them a trial. Have accidentally misplaced the recording files, and so until if and when they uh, they give us those files back, well, that one's going to go MIA. So shattered, but we're getting back on in the future at some time. So I thought I'm not leaving you guys without a podcast, but I couldn't just go and get one organised just straight off the bat. So I'm going to rewind the clock a little bit here with a podcast I used to do in London now. Uh, I think I might have bought one former intention podcast episode to you, and this one is another one of those. Now, uh, just let me give you a quick overview. The guest, uh, when this was recorded back in 2017, I think it was October 2017, is Brooke McCallery. Now, Brooke McCallery is focused on living a simple life. She wants to bring simple, practical, really helpful changes to you and I to help us get away from the stress, get away from the chaos. Get away from all the hustle and bustle that we don't enjoy so we can focus on the things we, we really do enjoy. Now, Brooke, uh, she was inspired to look into this scene initially uh, after her first child. She went through some uh, postnatal depression and started Googling, all right, like there's got to be a way to simplify my life. And, and that's sort of how the journey started. Since there, she, uh, she started a website, a blog, Slow Your Home, which has just gone bonkers. She's got a website, uh, sorry, she's got a podcast of her own, which has got a massive following. It's super easy to talk to. I remember this podcast specifically because I was in London at the time I recorded it and she was in New South Wales. So I didn't realize at the time that she said was good for her was actually 1.30 a.m. for me. So I woke up at 1.25 in the morning, quickly ran out to where our Wi-Fi box was, called her and tried to play it cool, but it's so funny. I told her what was going on. I told her I had the times muddled up. And I also, you just can't hide from the fact that my voice, I still sound half asleep for the first 20 minutes. So, hey, as my voice warms up, pay more attention to what she has to say. It's a great conversation. I really enjoyed this one. Uh, I'm really hoping you guys enjoy it. So, again, thanks to Joseph Green. Look out for him in the future. would love to have him back. And uh, in the meantime, enjoy myself and Brooke McCallery. So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. I, re- I always struggle, to be honest, to say, that, to, to have a, an answer that people go, oh, okay, great, moving on. Because, you know, if I say I'm a podcaster or I'm a writer, then people will either say, what's a podcast? Or they'll say something like, oh, like cereal. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Or if they say, oh, you know, I'm a writer, oh, what do you write? You know, do you write, and they expect fiction books or something like that. And um, it'll be easier when my book's released, I suppose, so I can say I've actually written a, a book book. Yeah. But um, honestly, I just tell people I work online and, uh, yeah. and I also, I like, I, I talk about slow living, you know, and I do presentations and that kind of stuff about slow living and then people either don't care or they want to know more. <laughs> <laughs> Rewind the clock for us, Brooke. When did this... When did this all get started? The slow living kind of piece of, of what I do? Yeah. Um, I would take it back about seven years, six or seven years. Uh, I was very overwhelmed in life in general. We, we had just moved to the 
to the uh, to the mountains from the city, and I uh, was running my own business. It was a jewelry label. We had a baby, um, and life was just really hectic. I'd put huge amounts of pressure on myself to just be everything to everyone in all facets of life. Yeah. And I found myself really struggling like significantly just emotionally. And I was pregnant with our second child, renovating, doing all these things. And I, I had a moment where I realized I, I couldn't do it anymore. So I closed my business down. And I wish that I could say that that was like my entry point into living more intentionally. But what I did is just replace all of the busyness of running a business with busyness of other kinds. And I found myself, um, I found myself really struggling through, you know, the last months of my second pregnancy. Then when our son was born, I was diagnosed about six weeks after uh, he was born with really severe postnatal depression. Um, I was in like a terrible mental place awful just you know really dark uh and i (laughs) i ended up thankfully being able to to talk to ben about it and he got me straight into a doctor and i was seeing you know a psychiatrist and a psychologist within the week uh and as a part of that process my psychiatrist was listening to me one day talking about how overwhelmed i was and how stressed and anxious and, and, you know, really just struggling. Uh, I was with everything. And she, she just kind of paused and asked me, have you ever thought about simplifying your life or, you know, doing a bit less? And I was really offended because I'm like, <laughs> do you mean I can't cope? What are you saying? You know? yeah. uh, and it stuck with me, though. Uh, I found myself kind of thinking about it for a few days and I Googled how do I simplify my life, found Leah Babata's blog and discovered that there was a whole heap of people who were trying to say no to, you know, life lived at 110% and get really intentional with, with their lives. And part of Leah Babata's blog was about uh, minimalism, so it was simplifying our physical environment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I could see that there was potential for that to bleed into other areas of life, but I couldn't cope with that at the time, so I just started decluttering. And, you know, a couple of years later we decluttered tens of thousands of things from our house and that was sort of the beginning. Then I started writing about it and realising that there were more people who wanted to know about it and and get help and, uh, you know, get a bit of insight into what it actually looks like to, to start living that kind of way. Wow. And how did the changes in the way that you were living with the simplifying, the way you were operating, have an impact on your headspace? Did it help your depression at all? Oh, yeah, it did. Absolutely. I, I still, I mean, seeing a psychiatrist and I was on antidepressants for years to help recover from the depression, which obviously was a lifesaver for me. Uh, but the the physical decluttering surprised me actually with the amount of mental clarity I got mm-hmm. as a result of going through the process and starting to question what was important and what more probably more significantly what wasn't important mm-hmm. and it turns out that heaps of stuff wasn't important so letting go of that allowed me to help to to start figuring out my priorities and living much more in accordance with those and it's just been this this continual gradual process of clarifying and and you know evolving and iterating and adding different strategies and practices into into my life whereas so now I really feel like I've shifted into mindful living and you know really deliberate kind of 
choices in life. But that only became possible for me because I went through the, the process of physical decluttering as well. Wow. And is this where the blog actually got started? So originally, um, for those listening, you wrote uh, an amazing blog, which is sort of on the, the, I guess, the back burners now, apart from the weekly updates that you're doing with your show notes and things like that, an incredible blog, a really inspiring blog. Is that the foundations to where that got started? Yeah, I had a I had a silly little blog before that, which it was so embarrassing. I think it still exists somewhere online. I'm gonna find it. Uh, oh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> and it, uh, I, I think I had a I was drawn to the idea of of writing about um, more sustainable living and and maybe kind of chronicling a, a few of the changes that we're making in terms of just greener living. You know, having kids really started me thinking about like chemicals and toxins and that kind of stuff. And I don't think that's unusual. Mm-hmm. So I, um, you know, I started writing about how I was using natural things to clean the house and that kind of stuff. But I, like, honestly, it's not that interesting to me. Like I, I mm-hmm. made the change and, and that was it, but it, that sort of inspired me to start writing. I've always been a writer, but it's mostly been just for myself. Uh, I hadn't done much writing uh, in public before mm-hmm. and that, little funny blog uh, kind of, you know, it stoked the fire enough for me to think about writing the thing that about the thing that was really sort of I was very passionate about at the time, which was this process of simplifying and slowing down. So I ended up canning the, the first silly little blog and starting Slow Home. And it was quite quickly that people began to respond to it. And that's when I realized that there was a lot of people with really similar struggles and similar you know they're in similar positions even if the circumstance didn't look exactly the same it was you know it was there was enough of a common point there for people to really resonate with what we were going through and uh yeah want to know more so that then i guess brought me about i was posting maybe once a day for quite a while there and i really wrote like significant amounts about the process of simplifying and decluttering and what I was discovering myself as, as we went along. And, uh, yeah, that was, I think the blog itself is, oh, it might've just gone over five years, four four or five years old. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. I was actually going to ask you, um, what the sort of turnaround time was, because as someone who started a blog earlier this year, I'm, I'm really interested in picking up little tips and tricks. And, um, I'm always fascinated. I read a lot of your stuff and, and I was one of those people who was, who was right on board with the things that you were saying. And, it's so nice actually to to get the chance to speak to you because my wife and I both feel as though um, what you guys do, both you as an individual and and you and your husband as a team, um, whether it's through your your words or your podcast or you guys just having a little bit of fun together, we both feel <laughs> not only inspired but um, like you guys are giving us the tools to to make really positive changes in our life and it, it, it's so cool I think that's why I'm so excited and I was so excited to have a chance to chat to you because it's like it, it's amazing um, I guess the amount of people you're probably influencing from a distance that you, you never even met or had the chance to speak to and up until now I sort of certainly put myself in that category but what was the kind of turnaround time with you um, starting to post more and more I didn't realize that you were posting daily um, starting to post more and more and uh, and people sort of discovering your blog and getting in touch to say they love your stuff. Yeah, I think it was when I stopped just posting purely 
you know, how-to kind of stuff and started to put a bit of myself and my humour and my personality into my writing. And also when I, you know, it's get, it's to be perfectly honest, I think it's when you start to get vulnerable with people yeah. uh, that, that people really connect. And not every post of mine was like that at all. You know, people still really wanted the practical strategies and, and ways to cope with certain problems, and I was more than happy to write those. But when it was peppered with, with these sort of insights into where I was at and particularly where I was struggling, I think that really resonated. And I think there's a fine line between being kind of open and honest and either oversharing or, you know, kind of coming off like a hot mess. Like there, there's a real sort of fine line between those things. But the other side of it is connecting with people as a human, you know, and I think mm. when I started to receive lots and lots of emails from people, really, you know, deep personal emails, uh, it, it kind of became clear to me that it had hit a different sort of level of connection with people, mm. which I think is, um, and that was, you know, probably a year to 18 months in, I really felt like I started to find my voice with mm. with my writing and, and people started to hear my voice in my writing. And from from that point, I'd started to, to pick up a little bit of attention from other bloggers like Joshua Becker was a big, uh, you know, advocate for my, my first sort of couple of years of writing and he really helped put me out to people who I probably otherwise wouldn't have reached. His audience was just massive and still is. Um, and Courtney Carver and, and, you know, a few other people like that. And I think once you start to build your network of like-minded people too, mm. it's it, that's also really helpful. That's really interesting. I've heard you speak about uh, Joshua Becker posting one of your blogs or uh, what was it, giving you the space to um, write a guest post for his page and the, yes. the amount of people that came to you as a result of that was just huge. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So he, uh, he had highlighted my blog – in, uh, he used to do, I'm not sure if he still does it actually, like a, you know, five blogs to watch this year or, or, you know, five people doing good things in the simplicity sort of space. And my blog was fortunate enough to be one of on one of those lists. And his audience was maybe 20, 50 times as big as mine at the time. Uh, so that sort of put me on his radar. And I, as a result, I just emailed him and said, thank you. And uh, he asked me, a while after that if I'd be interested in writing a guest post. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And that was for years the biggest referral point uh, of traffic to my, my blog was from Becoming Minimalist. That's amazing. That must have been an exciting moment for you to get the word out there a little bit more about what it is that you're up to. Yeah, it was. It really was. I remember I was, I was yeah, kind of floating around on Cloud9. And, you know, the interesting thing is it's it's just – you don't know where those connections are going to come from and what's going to resonate with people. And I think what it taught me was you just try, you know, you just say yes and and kind of be willing to share and, and network and, and kind of join in that community and a lot comes of it Man. as a result. So seven years ago you said you, you started making the changes to your own life, you started recording it, the blog gets out there, people start discovering it, they love what you're about Um and over time, you start to come towards the po- the podcast that you have now, Slow Your Home. Uh, what was the point that you decided that you are going to transition from writing these blogs that were already impacting such a big community to thinking, you know what, we're going to change it up a bit and start recording a podcast? 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's really an interesting thing for me to have done, really. As someone who identifies as a person who loves writing, it was quite a, a dramatic shift and it. it sort of happened pretty quickly. But I'm a big podcast listener myself. I love, I, I just love listening to them. Uh, and I, I realized after listening to shows like Mark Maron and Nerdist and things like that, people who have these quite, uh, you know, quite rich conversations with other people and you start to to really get a sense of them as a person, you know, the host in particular, I started to, to realize that I thought of these people as sort of kind of quasi friends and I felt like I really got to know them and the connection was much deeper than if I sat and read a book of theirs or if I sat and, and read a blog. And I had been interviewed quite a few times for other people's podcasts and surprisingly, because I don't love public speaking, I really enjoyed it <laughs> and I enjoyed the the process of, thinking about things differently. You know, when I when I talk about something, I think about it in a different way than when I write about something. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I thought, I said to Ben one night, I'm like, I think I might, <laughs> might consider starting a podcast. He's like, oh, cool, great. I said, the only problem is I can't edit myself. I can't listen to myself. It's just some kind of horrible torture <laughs> to me to listen to my own voice, which I think, to be fair, is every, like, everyone's mm-hmm. experience. But it was the biggest obstacle for me to, to starting and he said well I'm happy to edit it for you and then we kind of brainstormed a bit and he decided that it would be fun for us to do the, the intros together kind of ho- co-host together and it's just um it's just really sort of bloomed out of, of that first discussion but the first few episodes are kind of pretty bad that is <laughs> awesome uh, I disagree I reckon your first few episodes are amazing I've heard you say that really? before and I uh <laughs> Actually, I think it was your 100th episode that you were celebrating. I can't remember. Correct me if I'm wrong. And you went back to episode one where you guys sat down and he was sort of interviewing you about why it was you were starting what you were starting. Yep, that's and right. And it was the coolest episode. And I reckon that's one thing I absolutely love about you two is you seem so, I don't know, there's so many things I could compliment you on in this department, but I reckon your relationship is like a point of inspiration for me as well. Because are you guys married? Yeah, we're married. Oh, We've been married uh, nine years, ten years next April. That's amazing. I reckon it's so inspiring to hear people who've been married for a little while now still sound like they really like each other. <laughs> <laughs> You're the second person to say that to me this week, actually. Oh, it's so cool. My wife and I actually, um, we, so as uh, as I mentioned before, we're, we're in London at the moment, but before we got here, we had been travelling a little bit and... Uh, we were laying on a beach in Barcelona, both listening to one of your podcasts, and my wife was like, man, like, how refreshing is it to hear a couple that sound like they're actually friends and not just not just doing it because of the contract that they're signed? I was like, I know. So ever since then, every time I say I'm listening to Slow Home, my wife always laughs and she's like, babe, like, this is the kind of marriage we're going to have, yeah? I'm like, oh, babe, don't, like, we got it, haven't we? So like, you got a little bit of work to do, listen to how relaxed he is and... <laughs> loves you guys we both do so i just wanted to give you a big shout out there actually i'm going to get some marriage tips off you later because i reckon you're in a really good position to be able to offer them but so he started editing these podcasts and they started producing it and you obviously had a bit of a foundation you had a good crew with your blog that you were posting to but man it's just taken off tell us about the journey with the podcast from there yeah, I didn't expect it to take off the way it did, honestly. Um, I've, I've started quite a few projects and canned them pretty quickly after I've begun because they've been like just not 
I've not been passionate about them and as a result like the the amount of work that I put into them kind of flags over time and I didn't I didn't go into this with that expectation I never do but I'm kind of always open to to listening to what my my brain is saying or you know my motivation is saying about a project so I didn't have many expectations at all and that first week I think we put out three or four episodes in the first week and then went back to weekly after that and the numbers just went berserk I I honestly did not expect that at all you know people usually are quite a hard sell to get from reading something to listening to something particularly if they're not podcast listeners Uh, and it yeah it was something that I guess resonated I think it was also uh, to be to be fair I think it was Ben and my kind of interplay that really interested people because it wasn't just me sort of sitting there talking about slow living or a particular kind of topic there was a lot of interaction and I think people did enjoy that from from the beginning uh and yeah that you know we were lucky enough to get featured on um on iTunes front page for a few months and that brought a whole other raft of people into uh to listen and it's just kind of been a consistent growth uh we hit uh, we had a million downloads a few months ago and we're kind of heading wow. towards one and a half, which Congrats. honestly, thanks. It freaks me out a bit, to be honest. I try not to think about it, <laughs> you know, because I think, you know, if you start to quantify that, it's it really is quite um, – it's not, it's not scary. They're all good people and they're all kind of interested. No one's going to give an hour to something that they hate. But uh, it's – yeah, it's been a really interesting, interesting kind of – journey and to see how people react to us and and connect with us it's completely different to the way people connected with me when I was writing mm. you know people really do like they, they view us as kind of friends or allies or you know people because we people choose to spend a couple of hours a week with us sometimes and that's that's a lot you know mm. people could be doing a lot of things with that time and if they choose to to listen to what we have to say about something then I, that's something I don't want to ever kind of take for granted and I don't want to waste people's time either so it's um yeah but it's it's been brilliant it's been unexpectedly a lot of fun it's amazing uh those numbers that you're just telling me it's kind of scary as well the fact that I can understand what you do mean when you say it's a little bit scary I mean it is amazing absolutely amazing but it's just crazy that such a simple tool can have such a, a reach to so many people all around the world and you said a lot of people are getting in touch with you now I've actually heard you speak that um yeah the crowd that is coming to your page now is a lot bigger or even a lot different in some regards to what it was when it was just your blog. What are the, some of the big differences with the people that are getting in touch with you now um, compared to what it was just through the blog? That's a really good question. I think it's probably – there's a few things. I think one one area that Ben and I have been quite intentional in the last six months or so in just really concentrating on on – being ourselves as well, being as honest and open and, and like our quirky selves as possible. And I think that that's like, you know, and we do we talk about things that I know some people who, who are kind of interested in the umbrella ideas of slow living just won't be interested in. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, but I think we're, we're, we're really concentrating on, I guess, going about this in a really authentic sort of way and not in like, you know, authenticity is a real buzzword for people who are producing stuff, you know, online, but we're actually doing it in a 
just a genuine kind of kind of way. And I think what we're finding is the people who get it really get it and they really like hearing what we have to say about a, a certain thing or they like, you know, hearing our perspective. So for that, I think because of that, people's connection to us is is different and deeper and they, they do kind of view us as friends, mm. which is such a, you know, it's a it's a real compliment to to realise that. And I think then the other side of it is that people are more inclined to engage with us and chat on Facebook and leave comments on, you know, social media and, and all of that, those kind of kind of channels, probably for the same reason. You know, they, they've started to view us as rounded, complete people rather than someone who just talks about a particular topic all the time. You know, they, we, we're kind of giving an insight more into the other sides of us, which takes – time i think honestly yeah. it takes time it's like finding your writing voice you, you kind of got to find your your speaking voice as well and and figuring out what the boundaries are on that for us because you know we've got kids and we want to make sure that we protect that side of of our family life because they haven't chosen to have parents who you know who, who produce things for the public so yes. you know we we do kind of go about that quite mindfully as well that's so interesting. And, and one thing I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about is, it's funny and it can be ironic, I guess, you, you write about slow living, you speak about slow living, your whole, <laughs> uh, I guess, your, your job, I guess, if you, for lack of a better word, is, is based around slow living. But how do you go with the fact that you speak about it and actually putting it into practice in your life? Because I, I, I've become really interested in minimalism and and living a little more intentionally, living a life more in line with the things that I really value and, and sort of letting go a little bit of the excess. And I put so much time into thinking about it and writing it and putting ideas out there. And I always tell people that for me, this is something that I write so much about and talk so much about because I need to hear it more than anybody else. Like I need to be continually reminded, hey, yeah. slow down, enjoy it, just enjoy the ride. But I'll get so stressed about a blog post from time to time or so stressed about a little bit of work from time to time. And people go, come on, Ty, it's like you're putting out this idea. How do you go with actually um, consistently sort of implementing this slow living way of life? Uh, does that question make sense? Yeah, no, it, it does. It does make sense. And uh, we kind of asked similar versions of that quite a bit because what people will see, you know, the, the things that we put out into public, into like the public kind of facing world and, and it's all about slow living and intentionality and, and being really deliberate with how we spend our time and all of those kinds of things. And then people will see that that, that is kind of our output and they – I think for me, really, the the big piece is we we're busy. I like being busy, to be perfectly honest. I enjoy having things on. I enjoy having projects that I'm working on. I enjoy always having something happening. But I'm also really, really happy to live slowly, mm. if that if that makes sense. I don't think it's necessarily about pace. I think it's about choices and where we spend our time and you know having that that kind of light and shade like when the kids are at school ben and i work really hard for you know monday to friday and there's occasional afternoons where we work or occasional evenings where we work and we we really focus on our output being as high as possible in that period which then allows us to live a really slow intentional kind of pace for the rest of our our week and our weekends and you know we we make sure we take time off whenever possible and whenever needed. So I think it's kind of this this really strange 
duality, I guess, of working hard, which I have no problem with, and I don't think that it is, you know, anti-slow or anti-intentional at all. I think if anything, it's probably more intentional because we're doing that in order to afford us the time to slow down and be present and hang out with the kids and, you know, take the weekends off and really relax and read and garden and do all those things that are that are kind of central to us living this this sort of slower life. Mm. The interesting thing is I think about simple living is it's not particularly simple <laughs> to get there. <laughs> you know, it's really not. It's it, there's a lot of head work, there's a lot of work to to figure out what's a priority and what's important and what's significant enough to give our time to and and you know to to learn strategies to say no and all of those things take time and practice and energy. And I think it's it's sort of the, the irony of, of simple living is that getting there can be quite complicated mm. if we allow it to. And it can certainly be overwhelming if we if we try and focus too far into the future. So I think that, you know, having having priorities in place and and really working towards aligning the way you live with those priorities helps a lot because then the, the stuff that's on the peripheral, you can kind of much more easily let that fall to the wayside. Like you can just let that go mm. and not stress about it. So I think having your 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 reasons or your why, I talk about a lot, if you, you've got your why and you understand why you're making these changes, it can be much easier to to simplify and, you know, focus on the, the bits that are important because otherwise you can get just really, really overwhelmed with all the different facets of what simplicity or slow living or minimalism or you know, sustainability or eco, all of those things can, they all sort of come in under the same umbrella of living an intentional life. But if you allowed yourself to think too broadly too early, you can, you can really get lost and overwhelmed. So that was quite a complicated (laughs) answer, ironically. (laughs) It's it's so true that this whole simple living idea, it, it really does uh, take form in so many different parts of your life. When I first started getting interested in it, I, I thought it was purely about the material possessions in our mm. life. And then I started to realize uh, just the, the vast amount of areas in my life that it would just pop up and become a, a topic of conversation. But one thing that I really um, struggle with, Brooke, or one thing that I'm really trying to work at is my, my physical surroundings now are great. Like I, I feel as though I've got control over that. Uh, that part of it in terms of I don't necessarily um, accumulate or, or, or I'm more conscious of what I accumulate, I guess I should say. I'm a lot more conscious mm. of that and um, my physical space feels better about it. But I think um, speaking about this podcast or speaking about the blog that I'm writing, it becomes a real area of mental noise for me. And, and I love it when I'm doing it. I really love working on it. I love trying to improve it. Uh, but it's the switching off part that I really struggle yeah. with. For someone um, who's obviously you've you've spoken a a little more about, you know, overcoming your depression and and I guess dealing with a whole other form of mental noise, like is there any advice that you'd give to a person like me who has, okay, you've got the the physical stuff a little more under control, but the mental noise, just the switching Mm. off when the workday's done and now it's time to spend time with your wife or with your family or your friends or whoever it is that you're with... How do I make that transition a, a little more confidently? Does that make Does that make sense? It does, and it's a it's a good question, and that's sort of the the trajectory that my my story has taken as well. Like I I, I couldn't really deal with the emotional 
noise and the mental clutter initially because I was just so like I was really broken you know when I first came to to the idea of simplifying but what so what I could control was my physical environment and as a result started to slowly open up time and space and this just this sense of margin or buffer uh that that was first of all physical and then I started to realize that I didn't quite feel as overwhelmed mentally or emotionally and then that just that just sort of afforded me the opportunity to start thinking about the the different ways I could kind of open up that that brain space a little bit more you know and I started actually at the the suggestion of my psychiatrist just doing really simple mindfulness techniques like body scanning and just sitting quietly even just for 30 seconds because I had at the time you know a baby and a toddler it was a rare time that I could kind of just sit during the day and and find any sort of pocket of quiet that was any longer than a minute or two but she said that that was enough you know and and it was enough to start finding that little tiny pocket of peace so what I would do is just sit in a chair or sit wherever I was and just scan through each physical sensation that I was experiencing at the time so I'd close my eyes and breathe really deeply and ask myself what can I feel you know I can feel the seat under my butt I can feel the sun on my face uh what can you hear I can hear the dog barking I can hear the chickens I can hear a car I can uh you know what can you smell what can you taste and and go through your senses and she said it's not about what you're actually experiencing it's about bringing yourself back into the present moment and into your body and not up in your head and not up in those thoughts about work and deadlines and things that are happening in two weeks and things that happened five years ago and you know it brings you really very very directly into the present moment and that I found it was quite interesting actually because I didn't necessarily feel an immediate reaction to that either way but over time what I started to realize was that was that in and of itself was giving me that buffer that mental kind of buffer or margin or breathing room that I had been lacking and it was sort of similar moments then that I started to find reasons to do that in, in other areas. So I would be hanging the clothes out and I'd walk past a, you know, a, a plant in our garden when I was hanging the clothes out on the, on the clothesline. And I would stop and I would just have a look at the plant. Yeah. And it's, it's such a simple, simple thing to do. And it seems so insignificant. But if I spent 30 seconds looking at a flower or watching the bees buzzing or, studying you know the 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 way the seedling was coming up through the soil that was another way of finding those little tiny pockets and over time those pockets started to become more frequent and I started to realize that it was actually incredibly valuable to to my mental health and only just this year I've started to meditate as a you know as a as a practice I suppose I've been practicing mindfulness techniques for quite a while but meditation for me has been a massive game changer mm-hmm. and I don't think I would have had this, the tools to, to do it had I not been practicing those little pockets of mindfulness so okay I, I kind of know it's a they don't seem significant and it's hard to believe that they make a difference but I'm finding you know six seven eight months into meditation that my mental state is almost unrecognizable to what it was even this time last year wow. and uh, I put that down to yeah to, to meditation See, I think that's amazing. I think it's so powerful. It's something that uh, meditation that I've been really um, getting more and more involved in over the last 18 months. And I think I've found it to be a space as um, 
where I can just allow all that mental noise uh, just to sort of just be absorbed a little bit more. Not absorbed, just everything that's going on, just to calm down. And I love your illustration uh, of walking past the plant and, and just accepting it and just appreciating it and just looking at it for what it is sort of thing. And I, yeah. I was listening a little to Eckhart Tolle and his words on uh, the power of now a little while ago. And there's something, that's, it just really resonates with me about what he was speaking about because I think in a culture like ours that really just thrives on a little bit more and a little bit busy and earn a little bit more and you know you can switch off later but right now just keep on working keep on working that sort of is the breeding ground for stress and anxiety and mental mm-hmm. clutter and um, just having that space to sit down relax and you know focus on a, an object or a, a breath or whatever it is it just allows everything just to just to really calm down. So I was actually going to ask you about your daily routines, and I think this fits in really nicely with it. But is mental uh, sorry is meditation something that's become a daily practice for you now? Yeah, it has. I mean, there's an occasional day that I I won't do it if I sleep in, or um, you know if I prefer to to find the extra fifteen minutes of sleep. But it's pretty vital to me, honestly. I so I get up. Um, early in the morning and try and have a couple of hours before anyone else wakes up. It doesn't always happen that way. But, uh, yeah, so I get up, I have a shower, I get dressed, and then the first thing I do before I tap into any screen, any technology, anything like that, I meditate. For uh, I, I've started – I initially started uh, just a silent meditation at six minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my friends said that six minutes is a great place to, to kind of begin because it's closer to ten than five minutes and – uh, you know, she said from there, she personally then up to practice to 12 minutes. And I found just in the last month or so, I really feel like I need more. You know, I think um, part of that is probably the fact that if I'm honest, I'm busier than I, I have been uh, just in terms of work. And I need kind of more more time to decompress. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's the first thing that I do in the mornings. And it's um, the days that I don't do it, I do feel it, yeah. <laughs> you know, I really do feel it. And I think going back to something that you said a minute ago, it's just the the act of just noticing your thoughts and not necessarily engaging with them I think is a skill that is something I've used over the past 12 months or so to really quiet that mental clutter and that that constant striving for more. You know, I can I can say I'm feeling anxious about this thing and I can acknowledge it but I don't have to actually engage with the anxiety you know I don't need to make it any bigger than it is I'm just saying yep hi anxiety you're over there I'm over here doing my thing when it's time to engage with you and do something about it I will Mm. and that seems to help me a lot you know in just a a really practical sense just to kind of give me give me that that buffer uh between you know noticing and, and diving into yeah. to those feelings yeah that's a really powerful point you just made and uh, i think the reason it, it sort of sits so well with me is for uh, you know up until a few years ago i probably would have told you that i was a really anxious person and mm-hmm. um uh, maybe to a degree you know by the definition that i was using back then it's still something that i'm dealing with but i think a, a lot of what I was referring to myself as being anxious about was actually just thoughts that I was connecting myself with. I would, uh, I yep. didn't really understand this idea that I'm not necessarily my thoughts. I'm maybe just mm-hmm. adding a little too much weight to the thoughts that I'm having. So uh, meditation for me has been a beautiful space just to sit back and, and see those thoughts as something that's just playing across a screen. I've heard it explained and, and watching your thoughts like a movie rather than getting on board your thoughts like they're a boat. 
Um, yeah. And once you can make that difference uh, and, and I guess take that, I don't know if it's a step, but to have that realisation that you are not your thoughts necessarily, it, it becomes really powerful and it's really freeing because all of a sudden the things that bring you down or stress you out, you realise it's just something that's being portrayed to you. It's something that you're clinging to a little more than you maybe need to and meditation allows you to take that step back. Have you found the same? Absolutely. And it's sort of these stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. And when you realize that they are stories, like they're, they're narratives that we've constructed a, in our own minds for a whole host of reasons. And some of them are probably more steeped in truth than others. And some of them are more kind of aligned with things that we were told when we were younger or, you know, for whatever reason, we start to believe the fact that our thoughts are the truth, mm. you know, and I think when you realize that they're not, or not necessarily, uh, it's, like you say, so freeing, you know, and you're able to to start shifting those those thoughts and shifting the stories that we tell ourselves and challenging them and questioning them. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm much the same as you. I, up until probably this year, would have said that I was incredibly anxious and incredibly, uh, uh, you know, prone to being overwhelmed. And, you know, even though I'd done all this work to to not do that, I still felt like I was struggling against it. And this year, and I honestly can see that meditation is, you know, was the turning point. But this year I've been able to just challenge those beliefs a lot more and start to to not necessarily just give in to them. Say, I'm an anxious person or, I, you know, I get overwhelmed. Oh, well, that's it, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, to be able to question them is amazing. Like it, it genuinely is amazing. And it sounds so simple, but, you know, when we actually put it into practice, it's um, it's it's quite literally life-changing sometimes. Oh, you're so right, actually, Brooke. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy called Thich Nhat Hanh. Yes. Oh, I'm a really big fan of Thich Nhat Hanh and his words. And, and just the other day, my wife Jessie and I were walking down Brick Lane in, in London and we came across this nice little bookshop and it had a section that was just dedicated to Thich Nhat Hanh and mm. he had these little 50-page books and they were titled How to Walk, How to Sit, how to eat and I was like wow like if I didn't know his name there's no way I would pick it up because it sounded so boring (laughs) but I picked up the how to eat book and it was so much more of course it was than than just how to eat it was it was talking about how to eat a meal and enjoy it with your friends and how to actually you know taste the food and smell the food and see the food and enjoy the food and things but it was really amazing just the um the way that this message of how to eat just transitioned across into everyday life. And I think sometimes the speed that I know I personally operate, but the culture around us operates, doesn't allow you to enjoy those simple Mm. pleasures. And I think anyone listening that's interested in it, I found a really great place to, to get started was the Headspace app. I'm not sure if you've used that. I haven't used it much, but I, I, I mean, everyone that I know who has used it has loved it it's for exactly the same reasons, yeah. Did, was there any particular app that, that you used? Uh, I use the Insight Timer app uh, mostly because I tried, and this is something I was actually thinking about this morning, I, I tried guided meditation for a month when we were doing one of our slow home experiments and found that a lot of it was um, quite overwhelming to me to to have someone sort of in my in my ears telling me how to to slow down and and what experiences I should be having in any given moment with meditation so I found myself drawn a lot more to just the silent meditation I'll have some bells every couple of minutes to 
to bring me back in. And Insight Timer does both. So it has the guided meditations, some of which are really beautiful, and I have experimented with them. Uh, and then it also has just the option to to set up your own your own silent meditation uh, practice as well, which is what I use every morning. But I was going through a journal that I kept actually this morning when I was doing that experiment, and it reminded me of some of the really beautiful guided meditations that I'd done. And uh, yeah, I think that that's something that I'd like to explore more over the you know over the coming months. Man, that's really interesting. So meditation has become, as you said, a pretty much daily practice in your life. What are some other practices that you have? Is there a daily routine that you you sort of try and follow? Yeah, I have like a loose kind of rhythm uh, to my days. I found that that works for me, uh, particularly I think because we work, we both work from home, Ben and I, and we've got kids who are both at school. So we do have some sort of time time boundaries, I guess, around that, that help split up our, our days. But first thing I like to do is is get up early. And at the moment I'm working on a book, so I'm trying to get up at 4.30. Sometimes it's 5, but usually if I can get up at 4.30, I, you know, get up, I have a shower, I get dressed, I meditate, make a cup of tea, and I try to be at my desk by a bit after 5, between, you know, 5 and 5.30, and I'll write for an hour and a half usually. And then once everyone else starts to get up, I you know, get up and we, we usually have breakfast together and it's just a matter of, you know, getting everyone up and out and ready for the day. And I try – this, this, sometimes I really feel like this is super boring for people to listen to. I don't know if it is or not. Uh, I'm, so, I'm so interested right now. So if the audience okay. feels anything like I do, we're all excited. <laughs> all right, I'll take your word for it. Uh, you know, so like I, I usually try and have – I have a rhythm to, to the way we run the household, and this has shifted quite a bit this year because Ben's now at home. Previous to this year, he was working in the city, and he would be gone at about 6 in the morning and get home at about 8 at night. So I had to be really on top of things uh, at home, otherwise it all kind of fell into into a heap. But I have, you know, every morning I have a household task that I like to get done before the kids head off to school. It might be clean the kitchen, it might be clean the bathroom, it might be, you know, change the linens, whatever it is. And so I'll do one of those in the morning and put on a load of laundry and I like to have the house kind of picked up and tidy and ready to go before we drop the kids at school. Uh, And then I'll either do something at school, like I'll help out in the classroom for an hour or so and, and then, yeah, it's back home to work pretty consistently through until... 2.30 2.30 or so, and then uh, on a good day, I will take half an hour to sort of get my head into a different place before we go and get the kids from school so that I can, you know, actually be present and not half in, in work mode, half in parenting mode when the kids come home from school. Oh, but we... Um, sorry, keep going. Sorry. No, yeah, we, we kind of minimise afternoon activities as well. The kids do swimming lessons and uh, one other activity a week which is on the weekend. So our afternoons are really relaxed, which I'm so grateful for. You know, the kids are able to play outside and we might go for a walk or take the dog for a walk or go for a little bush walk or something like that, do homework if they need to. It's just really relaxed and it's a nice kind of way to to unfold and unwind in, an, in the afternoon. If we have to, Ben or I will work in the afternoons and the other person will get dinner ready and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, some nights we, we do a yoga class 
at the gym together and the kids come down for that. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, we really sort of just let the afternoon unwind as it needs to. So I guess the first section of my day is fairly regimented mm-hmm. and then the afternoons are, are much more relaxed. Yeah, beautiful. I, I really wanted to touch on what you just said a moment ago about trying to switch off a little more from the work that you've been doing about mm. half an hour before you go and get the kids picked up from school. Um, Jesse and I don't have kids yet, but I noticed that uh, a lot of the time during the day I'll be working on whatever it is that I'm doing and Jesse will get home from her job as a teacher. And if I've been working up until the moment she opens the door, there's a real, uh, not a tension, but my mind's still in game mode. It's still in task mode. And it takes me, I just feel guilty for about 45 minutes while I'm trying to switch off from these ideas that I have or trying to save work. So is that something that you discovered the hard way that, okay, if I'm going to actually be able to be present with my kids in the best way, I really need to just take a little bit of time to, to wind down before I go and see them? Yeah, I think it's, you know, and on the days that it doesn't work out that way, I can really feel the difference. It's it's quite noticeable. And it's like you said, just a, it's not a tension between me and them, but it's, it's just a tension mentally between where my brain has been for the last four or five hours to where it now needs and wants to be. And that it, it just doesn't, it doesn't just switch off, uh, you know, most of the time. It's not something that I can just, you know, click my fingers and, and be in a different headspace. So, but Ben, uh, Ben was actually the person who really brought my attention to that because he was, uh, like I said, he was working full time in the city up until the beginning of this year, and he would always use the train trip home as his kind of decompression time. And he he was always brilliant when he came in the door. His head was with us, you know, and and he was always present with us. And that's because he had intentionally used either the train trip or the walk home as his time to kind of reset and, and, you know, flip the switch to, to being at home kind of mode. And uh, yeah, so he was, he was a brilliant example of how to do that really well. And, um, you know, I, I tried to have that in mind from the beginning of the year and it's just a matter of figuring out, you know, how long I need and, and what that looks like in reality as well. Is Ben the most relaxed guy in the world? Because I get the vibe that he is. <laughs> He's very relaxed. <laughs> He's so relaxed. <laughs> every time I put, every time I feel stressed and I need to just relax, I put on a podcast and just listen to Ben's voice. He makes me feel more relaxed at a moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just things that ruffle my feathers. He's just like, really? Why are you stressing about that? It's not a big deal, you know. And even when he is busy or he is stressed or he's had a, you know, had a full week, he's he's got an amazing sense of perspective and, uh, you know, always has. He's got such a good sense of humour and will make me laugh even when I don't want to because I'm stressed. <laughs> he will just challenge me until I laugh and he's, he's brilliant at that. That's cool. Uh, Brooke, for someone who's really interested in getting involved in simple living or, or someone who might never have heard of it, what are... I don't know if three is too many. What are a couple of practical tips that you could give them as a start point just to slowing down the way they're operating? I think um, I always suggest that people start by figuring out what's important to them, uh, you know, to really do some some thinking about their why and why they want to slow down and what they, what they stand to gain by doing that. And, you know, to, to kind of really position it as, what 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 do I want my life to be about? And then what is it currently about now and see where those points of disconnect are? Because I think 
asking those questions really brings into focus the areas of life where it's vastly different to what we actually want it to be like. And it's just so easy to continue to live reactively that way. You know, if, if we continue to, to just do what needs doing immediately right now in front of us, then we, we're not going to, to ever be able to make those shifts because as we said before, it's like, it's, it's not easy. You know, it might be straightforward. It might be simple, but it's certainly not easy to make those, those changes. And um, yeah, so I think, that's a really important place to begin with. Just really question what life is about and what you want it to be about. And uh, and then I think practically speaking, you can't go wrong by starting to to deal with the physical environment that, that you live in and start to just slowly remove those layers of stuff and excess because what happens as you do that, as you start to question the things that you've surrounded yourself with and why you've surrounded yourself with them, you start to, to really, I guess, uh, clarify those priorities, those things that we that you, you first asked yourself about. And they, they, those priorities then become this rudder and this foundation point for you to, to build this life on. It's so much easier to go back to your why. Every time you have to have a dis- difficult decision, uh, a difficult discussion with someone or make a difficult decision about something to keep or something to let go of or something to say yes to or something to say no to, if you can go back to those those whys, those reasons, and ask yourself whether the decision is going to you know be in keeping with that or it's going to take you further away from it, it acts as this really beautiful kind of touchstone of what's important. So, you know, I think if you can combine those two things together and they start to feed into this much clearer picture of the kind of life that you want to live, and something as simple as, as decluttering which is such a, you know, it's such a mundane kind of word, but it, it is such a, a clarifying experience. So I think people's tendency is to go really big when they, they get that itchy kind of feeling, you know, when you're like, oh, I've got too much stuff, I just feel really antsy and, and I've got to do something about it. The tendency is to go really big, you know, I'm going to go and clean out the entire garage today. And my advice is actually to go the opposite and go really, really small. Mm. Because I think, you know, you'll find that, well, most people uh, will find that going for those huge projects uh, immediately will will kind of lead them into overwhelm and they start to lose sight of what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it because they've got all this stuff everywhere and maybe they're not practiced at making those decisions yet. Whereas if you tackle something really tiny like, uh, you know, your handbag or your briefcase or one drawer in the kitchen or one shelf on the bookshelf or something really small, you start to, to practice what it is to, to question the things that you're keeping and why and, you know, what you can do with them and what, what you want and how it, you know, ties back into these these priorities and you start to slowly build those decision-making muscles and, um, you know, it becomes much easier over time then to start doing the bigger things and they don't feel so taxing or overwhelming. And so, I mean, that's, that's based on my personal experience with simplifying and slowing down. I went to the, the physical stuff first. I know a lot of people who have gone about it in the complete opposite direction and they've started practicing mindfulness and meditation first and that has then bled into their physical environment over time. So I don't think there's a right or a wrong way. There's like there's not a right or a wrong way to, to do it at all. Um, but I think whatever you start with, just start really small and really intentionally and, uh, you know, watch it 
start to, to affect other areas of your life over time. Mm, something like the minimalist game that they have, I think it works. Uh, what is it? The first day of a month you throw out one item, then the second yes. day you throw out two, and you work your way through, you know, 30 days of a month. I guess yeah. I don't know how slow we're talking with the transition that we take into getting rid of some of our stuff, but the, I found that a really helpful space. But I, I was on the other side of the spectrum where I just got too excited, and I, even though I was saying – I was doing the minimalist game. I basically started at the end of the month just chucking out about 57 things. <laughs> and then by the last day of the month, I said, but babe, I don't own anything anymore. Like, what am I going to do? So I'd really take your advice there. Start slow and just allow yourself to be able to make that transition right across. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually um, I quite stupidly decided to do the minimalist game in October, uh, you know, so what is it now? The twenty fourth of October. So Ben and I have both been playing it, uh, and we are struggling. Like we just don't. We literally don't own enough things to to do it. But we wanted to kind of in, encourage people to do something like that. You know, a daily small task that will help them simplify, but also kind of switch their mindset into to this consistent action sort of you know mindset rather than one big leap occasionally mm. and. We're really struggling <laughs> just with the logistics of it. Because <laughs> you can't throw out your kids these days, can you? <laughs> From, nope. Before we wrap it up, I um, I know you've got a book coming out in, in January, is it? Um, we're thinking it'll be more like April now, but, okay. yeah, it's sort of the first couple, first few months of the year next year. Yeah. Could you give us a rundown on what it's going to be about, where it is we could put in pre-orders and find it when it does come out? Yeah. So, I mean, the best place to, to keep an eye out will be the website or social media, uh, but it's actually going to be a reworked version of my first book, which was um, Destination Simple. It was an e-book, and it is it centres on rituals and rhythms that you can apply daily to simplify your life. And it's actually not about stuff at all. It's more about, um, you know, mental and emotional kind of rituals and, and things that can kind of ground you in your day in such a way that they both help to bring you into the present but also help you to create a, uh, a you know, a more or organised isn't the right word. It's more like a more orderly, rhythmic life. Um, yeah, and there's seven of those in the book. That sounds so good. I'm definitely going to be getting my little pre-order in ASAP. I actually looked at it on Kindle last night, and I realised you can put your pre-orders in now, can't you? <laughs> so, anyone who's interested, jump on uh, jump on board and, and get your little pre-orders in soon. But Brooke, I don't want to I don't want to hold you up um, any longer. But just wanted to say that um, just so grateful that you stopped by and, and had a little chat and dropped some absolute bombs of wisdom, as I knew you would. I was excited because even though it was one thirty, and I'm right next to my neighbour's window in a cupboard, I wasn't going to have to say much because I just have to ask a question and just listen. And I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. So, yeah, super grateful that they, you stopped by and gave us a little bit of time. Oh, no, it was such a, it was such a pleasure. And I'm just sorry that you had to be up <laughs> <laughs> oh, It's the ultimate sign of love, I reckon. If anyone ever said that they did that for me, I'd, you know what, I'd be a big fan. So no pressure there. <laughs> I'm very flattered. <laughs> awesome, Brooke. Awesome. Well, thanks so much and uh, good luck with the book release. I'd love to touch base with you again soon. Sounds great. <laughs>